<gasps> oh, my oh, who ate them all? I did. <laughs> Dewey's Bakery. Dewey's Bakery. Soft baked brown butter chocolate chip cookies in a six ounce bag from Joby. Mm. <laughs> they are. It's from Joby. Yes. Yum. <laughs> so this is the um, film photography treat podcast <laughs> where we uh, talk more about sugared treats than we do film. It's not true. This would be the food photography podcast. Food photography podcast. <laughs> My name is Michael Rosso. I'm here with Leslie Lazenby. Hello, everyone. And Mr. Mark O'Brien. Hi there, folks. And uh, this may soon be the uh, regular eight Super Eight podcast. <laughs> I got to learn how to do that. I do want to <laughs> tell people to uh, check out our YouTube channel, Film Photography Tube. Search that on YouTube. Give us a subscribe and like some of our videos. And uh, just up is a preview, a preview of what I'm planning for the fall for October, which is a series called Super Eight Horrors. And the reason that uh, uh, video is up now is because Leslie brought me a eight millimeter condensed version of The Raven. Uh, Nevermore. <laughs> put out by Ken Films. Oh, hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Put out by Ken Films, Fort Lee, New Jersey, back in the 70s. And on this YouTube video, we um, chit chat about, you know, buying movies, buying home movies in a camera store and. Leslie did some research on The Raven. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. And a lot of folks are now picking up their Super 8 cameras. FPP listener Ann Holland sent me an email. She said, hey, I just shot... I don't know if she shot or found. Hey, I just shot uh, some Super 8 Kodachrome. And I think it's really important to broadcast right now. To broadcast right now, whether it's Super 8, Regular 8... 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter uh, that you're shooting in your still camera, that Kodachrome has ceased to exist, the processing for the film. The film is no longer made. The processing no longer exists. And it's amazing. Every day, every week, I see posted on the internet, I guess, new people. Where can I get this developed? Have no idea that it's just gone. When in fact, if you do any type of Google search, all the videos pop up. I mean, it was major news. Every right. network covered it. Small town in southeast Kansas is about to lose its unique status. And the rest of the world is about to lose a traditional way to remember the moments of their life. John Batten visited Parsons, Kansas and shows us what's going away. And you will find a news story from about every major U.S. You know, TV network who went to Dwayne's to broadcast about how this is the last day. They even made a movie about it. There's only one place left in the world that processes Kodachrome, and that's Dwayne's photo in Parsons, Kansas. Your father found four rolls that he shot a really long time ago, and he wants you to dry them. I have not spoken to the man in over a decade. He's dying. Let's go! We're burning daylight! It can be processed because it, it is black and white film with the dyes added to it. It can be processed in D76. Of course, it will be black and white. But if you find something exposed in, you know, grandma's drawer, mom's drawer, whatever, you'd really like to see what's on it. 
That's your only option, really. You know you're expecting color and that beautiful Kodachrome color. It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Sorry. Kodachrome is gone. Don't get me wrong. When you see that box of Kodachrome, be it 16, Super 8, or 35 millimeter, I mean, everyone wants to shoot it. Oh, yes. Everyone can't. I've seen people post on Facebook, in like the 35 millimeter group, like, look, look what I, I mean, they're so thrilled. Look what I'm going to be shooting. I'm like, uh, yeah, like. But anyhow, we're going to yeah. be talking about some film stuff. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to somebody. Thank you, Ms. Walker. Oh, by the way, did you notice our new prices on Brownie movie cameras? They're reduced to almost $10. Yes, I did see them, but we're not quite sure whether we take enough movies to make it worthwhile. Let me show you something. Here's a reel of Kodak home movies. Now, suppose these were your movies, and on this reel you had movies of, oh, let's say this young lady learning to walk, and her sister all dressed up and looking pretty. All your vacations. Suppose you had all that and more in action and in color. That'd be worth a fortune, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. Well, it uh, doesn't cost a fortune at all. Especially now. You know, this camera was a bargain at $39.75. And now it's only $29.95, or $3 down. You really couldn't make a better investment for your family. Here, try it. See how easy it is. Why don't you visit your Kodak dealer this week? It's a great time to make your family movie stars. You know, the only thing yeah. you could point out is if you've got those old rolls of Kodachrome for, for movie cameras and haven't been shot, they're a good way to learn how to practice loading your camera. <gasps> or testing your camera. Yes, yes. that's what I told Ann Holland. Yes. I said, great for testing. Yeah. You know, terrific. Get, get familiar with it. Good tip. Good point. Hey, we're back. What do you want to talk about, Leslie? I'm going to talk about a book, a book review. Whoa. I know I don't, I don't commonly, but milling around in a secondhand store a few weeks ago, and I found this book called Country slash USA, 24 Hours in Rural America. Well, I already had a copy of this book from years ago, but it got lost in one of the M's, marriage or moving, I don't know which. <laughs> um, the concept is, in 1987, a gentleman by the name of Richard E. Brooks had an idea to photograph rural America. Okay. But then it morphed into, we're going to photograph rural America 24 hours all on the same day. Oh, get out of town. I know. So uh, Mr. Brooks is the editor? Like yes, he, got, he is. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a great concept, I think. Sounds simple, right? You just tell every photographer you know, this is what we're going to do and the day we're going to do it. Not that simple. Mm. He specifically chose the photographers. There ended up being nine regions with regional coordinators across the country those coordinators there in turn had photographers assigned to them. I could have gotten some inside information from one of the photographers if I could have found him right now, but I can't. And I'll, I'll tell you who it is later on because everybody here is going to know him. And that's <sighs> wonderful that he's represented in here. So of these nine regional coordinators that it, they had, they were assigned 10 to 12 photographers to covered the entire U.S., and they ended up with 102 pro photographers, and everybody was to shoot on, fantastic time of the year, October 1st, 1988. But not only did he include the pros, but he opened this up to 4-H groups. Hmm. Great. 
And I'm thinking, I know we have a lot of international listeners. So a book about all about the USA, maybe not so interesting. And it it can be. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I thought, is 4-H just the U.S. or is it international? It is international. Many of you will know 4-H groups, which 4-H groups, more likely than not, are rural organizations. What does it stand for? Head, hand, heart, health. Rural America to uh, have a, a, you didn't probably belong to the Y as a kid because you were out in the country. It's usually associated with the local cooperative extension services. Yes, it is. through the county mm-hmm. and state levels. Absolutely. I was once a advi- in 4-H as an advisor. And I was once in 4-H as a kid, <laughs> 4-H kid. Well, he ended up with a, a 122,000 original photographs. Oh. These were not done digitally. This is 1988. Submitted, and he chose, well, the team chose 255 images. Some are are super wide. They are. They'll give you a double double page spread on some of these. And when you get further back, there's a fold-out. It gets even longer. Were people using like a wide lux type of some? Were some people using panoramic cameras? I don't know that it was panoramic so much. A lot of these were probably done medium format. These are amazing. The photography is beautiful. It's stunning. And what I do like about it, there's very little text with the image. You usually get location, state, Mm. photographer. Now, in the back, though, is where the jewels come in. Mm. But maybe being a photographer, because this is a coffee table book, what I really enjoyed about this was the last chapter. The last chapter gave the details about what the photographers experienced that day and it is truly enlightening what the coordinators did to keep track of everybody. There were no cell phones, so they had to wait till they called in. But it, well, I don't there want to. No I, 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 there were no cell phones. There were no cell phones. You had to wait. Think about it. Okay, I got to see how such and such is doing in New Jersey. How's it going? They made appointments for them. If required, they may have had to have gotten passes or permission. So a lot of these locations situations, events were planned out ahead of time. They had to feed them. Hmm. You know, the whole day, everything was taken care of. It was a lot of pizzas. It was a lot of pizzas. Knishes. And when the photographers talk about it, as well as the coordinators in the back, it's just like you are there for the inside scoop. And I just made just a brief note here of some of the things that they said. And I noted the first one. Photographer said, it was a glorious day in New Jersey. They had a beautiful day to work with. October 1st, like I said, is just, it, look at that. Isn't that wonderful? He just pulled out a three-page spread, which is great. Orange County, California was just so sunny. The photographer shot in many cities that day, yet the photographer noted it was a rough start to her day, beginning with locking her keys in her car. And later, she had a dead battery in her car, and she had another town or city to go to. She hitchhiked. Got to get there. Schedule's made. And then there's this. Jeff Salisbury. No. <gasps> Jeff's, Professor Jeff. Our Professor Jeff. He wrote, I had a frustrating day in Ohio. He arose early to shoot a sunrise, and the skies were overcast. He went looking for an Amish family. He never found one. 
He made an arrangement to shoot a drainage ditch operation. Nobody showed up. Decided to look for some grain harvest action. Too rainy. The final blow came when he found a picturesque bluegrass mountain festival, but no one wanted their pictures taken. He finally found some elderly quilters, some barn painters, and a one-room schoolhouse. Where did you find this information? It's in the back of the book. Isn't that brilliant? They interviewed or had comments from each of the photographers about how their day went. Professor Jeff had a bad day. He did, but he's got some beautiful images in there. They just had to keep going and get them. Ohio actually is pretty well represented in there. Um, And I haven't really said too much about the images themselves. They are divided into chapters like Our Land, Country Life, People of Rural America. And then there's the chapter devoted to the 4-H captured images. They're, they're pretty darn amazing. He, uh, and I'm going back to Mr. Brooks, how he found these photographers, and he had the best of corporate, commercial, landscape, photojournalist, nature, agricultural, um, wildlife photographers. And Jeff Salisbury was actually really known as a corporate and a... Um, not a wildlife, but definitely an agricultural photographer. So I'm sure that's how they even found out about him. The pictures themselves are stunning. They are charming. They are sentimental, almost in a romantic view of America's rural community. Is it an accurate view? No, not totally. I don't think so. It's a, it's a little um, whitewashed. Like a it's very, very much so whitewashed. I mean, there's no... There's no um, but... People screaming in the street. They did not there's want. No, they did not want this to be controversial. No they, violence. No violence. They did not want it to be shocking. Uh, but what it is is, it's lovely. It's peaceful. It's peaceful. It's relaxing. It is photographically inspiring. And um, the reason that um, I had this book originally is because Jeff bought a case of them and signed them and gave them to all his friends. Oh. So I'm. Do hoping oh. it turns up somewhere. I did Is, just purchase this one. This oh, one's okay. not the signed one. And um, today you can get a fine copy for maybe three or four dollars, mm. up to about sixty dollars. And like I said, I realize FPP is not just a U.S. based podcast. Um, we have an international listening base, but I would have loved to and still love to see. If someone coordinated this to do in your city or to do in your state or your country, Ireland, 24 hours in Ireland, wouldn't it be fantastic to see this cross-section of other countries? And I don't think today it would even be a bad idea if you use this as a school project or a school assignment. All these that are out shooting film, kids, we're going we're gonna to photograph our town or our school in 24 hours. Oh. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I think it's an inspiration even in that point to be used currently today. But I think it's a fabulous book. It's called Country USA, 24 Hours in Rural America. It's printed by Silver Image. Hmm. Nice. Thank you very much, Leslie. Sure. Setting off to find America Gonna take my own sweet time to find 
Dakota-Color VR Films, capturing America in all its glorious colors. And everywhere I see people smiling back at me, so glad to be in America. Kodak Film, because time goes by. Yep. Hey, we're back. Mr. Mark O'Brien is going to be talking about... What have we been talking about? We're talking about this. Pop music. Talk about <laughs> Pop music. Pop. 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 Music. Talk about. <laughs> I have in front of me a um, a black bodied camera. It must be pro. Is it a Canon? Oh, it's pro. No, it's pro. It's oh. Pro. It's a Zenit. Oh, okay. <laughs> 12 XP. It's a Russian camera. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, I've owned a few Zenits. I think back in the early 2000s, I acquired a Zenit EM. Um, later then I had a, a Zenit uh, E, I think, and a Zenit 122. This Zenit 12XP I picked up in Nagani, Michigan. What I like about this camera um, is its simplicity. It is built like a tank, and it came with a very desirable Helios 44M4 uh, lens, which is a 58mm f2 it has a beautiful bokeh to it. The lens does. Um, it's it close focuses to about uh, oh, 18 inches. For its simplicity, you would think it would have limitations. I mean, it, after all, it only has bulb, 130th of a second, which is also the X-Sync for flash, 160th, 1 125th, 1 250th, and 1 500th. No 1 8th, no 1 15th. What, no, else, no, do no, no, what interim, else do you need? What else do you need? It's uh yeah. What else do you need? Yeah. Resettable um, frame counter at the top. You do it manually. You do it manually. Yep. You just move it around to where you think mm-hmm. it should start. It does have ISO ranges of sixteen to five hundred, and it has over under LEDs in the viewfinder to gauge your exposure. It uses a easily found battery. Battery only runs the meter. Battery, battery only runs dead, the meter. It's, cool. total, it's totally manual. And in fact, I've used this camera meterless many times. Uh, I would call the Zenits the Volkswagens of the 35 millimeter SLR world. They are they were plentiful. They're not as plentiful in the U.S. Well, it may be more plentiful now because of how the world has changed. But back in when these were made, they were pretty much re- restricted. They were exported under different names. Um, but they were most common in Europe and, and, and of course, um, behind the Iron Curtain at the time. They're not innovative by any means. The, it does have a standard hot shoe. This one does, as well as a PC socket, a self-timer. Uh, metering is stop-down style. A partial press of the shutter release activates the meter. They, the 12 XP was manufactured from 1983 to 1992, and over a million units were produced. That's of this camera. Now, of course, we all hear about, was it a Monday camera or a Friday camera at the factory, right? And, uh, but I think this was such a mature design that um, they was not a whole lot of variation. The 44M in its various incarnations was put in all the Zenits. Um, it might be the most common normal lens from a manufacturer out there, at least an M42 mount, made from 1958 to 1992. Mm. It's basically a copy of the Zeiss Biotar 58mm f2 lens struggly constructed and it's also pretty cheap and at 58 millimeter it's it's actually pretty good for portraits as well um it's it has a nice out of focus uh features are rendered beautifully it's a no frills camera and but what it does do is the basic controls allow you to just concentrate on your subject 
which is what you really wanted. If you're teaching uh, classes in photography, the fewer options your camera has in terms of bells and whistles, you're reducing it down to two things, basically. Control of light, which is aperture and shutter speed. Those two things, and you put in a, a roll of 100 speed, ISO film in there or 400 ISO film, you're going to be pretty good for almost any situation. Especially given now the prices of Pentax K1000s, um, they're pretty much unaffordable for a lot of school programs. Of course, we do have the FPP school donation program, but not everyone is participating in that um, unless they don't know about it. Um, but a Zenit 12 XP ought to be a bargain if you're looking for a basic basic M4, basic slr the m42 screw mount is what it has for a mount potentially in terms of numbers there's probably millions of lenses out there for this thing but you can take a lens from a pentax um, spotmatic or its predecessors and, and put it on these as well prices are all over the place on ebay the 12 xp with a helios 44m in good condition will probably range from 20 to 90 bucks um, no the body only um, runs from fifteen to forty dollars, all excluding shipping. Of course, there's a lot of Ukraine and Russian vendors of this camera. There's for some reason there's lots of people in Turkey selling them. I'm not sure why, hmm. but um, I, mean, I paid 20, twenty bucks for this and it's been holding up quite well. A later Zenit, which people may see as a Zenit one twenty two, which was made in the nineteen nineties, and they kind of tried to upgrade the the overall ergonomics and exterior shell of the camera. Those are really plasticky, and in my opinion, they're really crap. Um, <laughs> the lenses are not as, as well um, constructed. There's there's more plastic and everything. But if you're looking for something that is just sort of kind of fun to use by its sheer limitation and forcing you to concentrate on your subject and what you want to do with it, a Zenit 12XP is actually a, a pretty good camera for that. Um, it's rock solid. It's not going to you know freeze up in the winter because it was made in Russia. That's right. When we come back, we'll be talking about Super 8. No, we're not. (laughs) Hey, folks, Michael Rosso. Just a quick note about shooting home movies on film. The Film Photography Project has brought back the regular 8 format and now offers film developing and scanning right in our online store, filmphotographystore.com. As a matter of fact, we support filmmaking across the board with not only regular 8 film, but a full line of Super 8 film and 16mm film, including some brand new exclusive film stocks. Check it all out, filmphotographystore.com. Find your parents, grandparents, home movie camera and start shooting. Or head over to a thrift store, car boot sale, or ebay.com. Pick up a camera and start shooting some movies on film. Home Movies on Film at the Film Photography Project. Hey, we're back. Mail's in. Oh. What? You hear that? Mail's in. The mail's in. I might have some letters, too. We know these people. This is Tom Zoss. Yeah, it's Tom Zoss. We know Tom. Tom and Bernadette. We know Bernadette. I don't believe I know Bernadette. I. It's tight. This is a ma- <gasps> oh, oh, this Look at this. This is a mailed letter. This is a mailed yes. type letter. 
Dear Michael, Matt, Leslie, and friends. friends. He was worried about running out of ink. I mean, he could go on forever, right? I'm happy to be sending you a second box full of film cameras. This one is an even dozen to donate. Use as you see fit. List attached. Batteries have been removed. And I am sitting here just, thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> we've we've had some doozies here lately of things that have just been annihilated because the batteries were left in. Almost my finger. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes, exactly. I attended the get-together in Finley, Ohio, and enjoyed meeting all of you a lot. I brought a large bag of various outdated film at the time. I'm one of those long-time film shooters who switched from film to digital because of travel. My trick was to develop negatives during my trips to reduce the risk of exposure or loss. That changed when I was once told while in Egypt that only a third of the film labs there even had running water. Oh. So he didn't process on site. He brought it home. Now in retirement, I'm using a couple of Graflex cameras and a restored Olympus OM2N. I like this man even better. I started asking friends if they had any old film cameras, and they came in regularly. I have been blessed with gifts of a nice Nikon F3, a Leica M6 with lenses, <laughs> and others, which I use, but many are now surplus, and I send them to FPP. Nice. Thanks for your podcast and your service, and best regards, Tom Zoss. I'm going to just give you a quick rundown of what's in that box. Olympus Zoom Super Shooter, which is a point-and-shoot. Oh, point-and-shoot, really? No, we have a need for point-and-shoots. So everything is welcome. We've got a Canon Sure Shot. We've got a Nike, uh, Konica C35, a Minolta point-and-shoot. Uh-oh. What? Minolta Vectus. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. APS. Uh-oh. Kodak Advantix. <laughs> APS. About the Kodak Advantix? Take a look through there. It's drop and loading. People get such a kick out of this. It's like magic. It's got three picture sizes. Panoramic. You'd span all of that. Right. Oh, here's where this came. All right. This will be a good point. An Olympus OM77AF. Oh, did you handle that? Kind of a freaky little camera in a way. There's, it has an importance to the Olympus history. And I told Mark, I said, pull that out. I want to take it home, shoot it, do a segment on it, and then I'll bring it back and put it in the program. So that's where that 77 came from. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Um, Nikon One Touch, uh, a Vivitar APS, a beautiful little Canon Elf. I remember that one too. This impressive panorama was shot with a miraculous little elf. Uh, we've got um, Olympus 1520 DLX. Another, uh, no, IS-20, IS-20. A couple of Olympus IS-20s. Twelve film cameras. They will all be put to excellent use, totally vetted, and ready to go. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. Hey, FPP gang. <laughs> yes. I have been a listener since way back when. This is from Jared Haas. And I, um, backstory, I did meet Jared. Okay. Um, at the Kiwanis sale, which is a... Uh, Aquinas um, thrift shop in Ann Arbor. Um, it's oh. only open Friday and Saturday mornings. I thought it's where you actually went in and bought a Kiwanis. Well, you could, I, okay. but I, I didn't see any for sale. I, but they do have a, <laughs> they do get a lot of camera gear in it, and I try and stay away from it because I really don't need any gear, right? Yeah. 
I went in one day and they had this beautiful uh, Nikon FM early version with a knurled ring around the shutter button and a lens for seventy dollars. So I had it was calling to me, and so that's my donation to Kiwanis this this past year. Hey gang, I've been a listener since way back when the podcast first started. Whoa! I am currently listening backwards on episode one hundred. What a milestone! I remember back in the day going to Coney Photo in Perrysburg, oh, Ohio. Oh, that's Cone. Cone Photo. George Cone. In Perrysburg, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I remember buying some of my first film from Matt Marash. I also had the pleasure of meeting Mark O'Brien a while back and had the pleasure of selling him his Nikon FM. Hope he's enjoying it. Best to you and the gang, Jared. And he talks about anyone who'd be interested in film swapping, creating double exposures with me for an upcoming project. I am working on, can, I am working on, can feel free to contact me on Instagram at jph underscore autography all right hold on let me get my phone (laughs) okay mike just step out of the room what can we do while he's gone Uh, no crumbs leslie (laughs) (laughs) let's just fire off all that super eight film that's in his camera yeah yeah oh i finished this roll i thought i just put it in (laughs) oh too late here he comes nothing nothing Crumbs? You gonna dial him up for something here? I'm gonna friend friend him on the Instagram. Oh, okay. What else do we have regarding topics? Topics? Well, I've got a doctor's in. Oh, good. When we, we when we come back, the doctor will be in. Yep. This impressive panorama was shot with the miraculous little elf, the new Elf Two, the two-time zoom camera that's the world's smallest. Have you seen all the elves? Only from Canon. Oh, you hear that? Doctor's in. How can I help you, sir? (laughs) Can you tell me what's going on today? What's going on today? And this is the Doctor's in called, I got a case of the blues. Oh. Oh. So I'll read you exactly what was sent to me and uh, how I dealt with it and how we came up with the answer. I'm having issues with developing Kodak Gold Films, Ultramax, Color Plus, Gold, Pro Image. The final product seems to lack the yellow, which I can add back in in Photoshop. I got a temperature control device. I started making sure my final rinse was also around 102 degrees, uh, which has helped, but it still loses some yellow. Other films, even other Kodak films, don't have this problem. Any ideas? Well, 20 questions. My questions were, let me know how you mix your chemistry. Water type, how you store your chemistry, glass or plastic. What size of kits are you using? And how many rolls are you running through the kit? That was my basic questions. He is using a C41 kit from FPP. Time to wake this show up. He wrote back, I'm using clear plastic bottles, but I've switched to brown glass. I store my used developer and Blix in the fridge, but now I store them at room temperature. And that didn't make a difference either way because I know he's using his temperature control device, his sous vide. I normally dump at the 20th roll, but the problem 
is present from the very first. I recently started keeping a log. Okay. He is using the one liter kit. My pre-rinse, developer and Blix are all at 102. Exactly. Well, my final rinse is around 102 and the stabilizer is at room temperature. I use the one liter kit and mix it 110 degrees tap water. However, my most recent batch, I have used distilled water and have not had a chance to try it yet. I don't know if it's normal, but after a few rolls, my stabilizer turns pink. I used to rinse for five minutes, but I've reduced the final rinse to three, which seems to help with the issue, but it makes the stabilizer turn pink quicker. Answer back. Glass is good. Not necessarily, but glass is good, especially if you're recycling your plastic container. It may not be as tightly poured as a photographic plastic storage bottle. And then I wrote, distilled is good and recommended, especially for the developer. Every municipality's water is chemically different. 20 rolls. Sounds like it's a little too much for a liter kit. It's okay if you're going to be using it for personal reasons only. If you're going to commercially process, I would stay within the chemistry's recommendations. I know that Mark Dazelle is on his 478 <laughs> roll yep. in his original leader kit, <laughs> but he's doing it for himself and actually writing the instructions in the kit. It tells you that you can go beyond the recommended 13 to 15 rolls if you're willing to accept some changes, and it tells you how to do that. So I always stay with 13 to 15, but that's my background in commercial photo processing. I don't like it when it finally does go and there's a shift in the film. And you have to scan it to get it out of there and takes more time. To me, if that would have happened for like a customer's role in the, in the business that I worked at, we would have panicked, you know. His temperature, excellent. The original final wash is three minutes according to the instructions. Stay at three minutes. Now, why is the stabilizer pink? Mm, why? It's okay. it's okay. It's okay if the stabilizer's pink. It will be more or less pink as you do multiple brands of film. It, some have more. It's simply final dyes coming off and washing out. A lot of times you'll pour it out and it's pink, and the next time you process film, you won't even think about it. That stabilizer will be clear again. It's just some final dyes. It's absolutely fine to have in there whether you immediately reuse it or wait till later and the pink is gone or you're using it with the pink in it. It doesn't hurt it at all. Okay, that's what I sent back to him, and sometime later, I got this message back. I tried mixing my chemicals with distilled water, and that makes all the difference. My pictures look amazing. So, well, right or wrong, I'm a doctor. I'm going to bill you anyway. <laughs> but but uh, we got it. It, it. it took a lot of... Sometimes you have to think about these questions when I ask you, like, no, no, no. Oh, maybe... That rings the bell. So just put up with me when I send those 20 questions mm -hmm, back. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we'll get there. Occasionally, um, I can't solve the problem, but uh, we're always willing to give it a shot. Yes, yes. Uh, I think it's most important, folks, who send us emails regarding issues and problems. Uh, uh, first of all, we're not dedicated customer support. We this is FPP is a labor of love for us. So in this Instagram generation... It could take a few days. <gasps> what? What? Days? It could take a few days for us to respond. Uh, also, and this was my tip of the day, uh, both Leslie and I, and maybe Mark, I don't know, you know, we use desktops. Yeah, we do. And we use it, and it has nothing to do with our age. 
it's efficient. Everyone's yes. with their tablets and their phones, and quite frankly, if you're if you're searching information for a problem or a camera issue or a developing issue, I highly suggest uh, going to a desktop or a laptop because then you have Google, you know, Google. You have tabs you can hit. You can keep track of things. It's very difficult. Uh, you may need a little piece of paper, or you want to type a little Word document. Leslie? Well, in this whole frame, sometimes if it takes me a little longer than you think to get back to you, it's because I currently only have, I don't have a laptop or a desktop at home. And if it's a lengthy answer, even though I have a small little Bluetooth keyboard for my tablet, it's just so much quicker. Yep. You know, really, than that, you know, because the cat walks over it or whatever, and I've typed some wrong stuff. So, yeah, a desktop does kind of... A standard keyboard is yep. what it boils down to. Having that standard keyboard to help you out with a monitor. Get yeah. yourself a nice Windows 97 machine. Or <laughs> Windows 97. <laughs> Dial up that modem, that That's AOL, and you know you could sit in the com- comfort of your home. You got it. No matter how good the photographer, some slide films refuse to show life in its true colors. Kodak Ektachrome Films sees every shade under the sun. Where some films could barely make out the girl. Ektachrome Films sees every freckle. Though time stands still for no one, Ektachrome Film can hold it in mid-flight. Kodak Ektachrome Film tells the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Hey, we're back. If you've been using uh, various cameras and you have your lenses that came with a camera and then you decide, oh, maybe I'd like to try something different. See, 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 see. Um, and, you know, there are all these different... Di- um, Photodiox has, a, has uh, but, uh, adapters out there and all that. Most of the adapters you see today are geared toward mirrorless cameras or digital shooters they may give you different results when using your film cameras last year i gave mike a a a pancake lens to put on his his pentax k-mount camera and it was a screw uh, m42 screw mount lens yes it was and he bought one of these cheap adapters from china and uh, and he couldn't get the darn thing to focus to infinity and after i looked i go oh this is made for a digital where you have mirrorless with different registration than the film cameras, than a, than a Pentax K-mount camera. And if you have the actual adapter for the an M42 lens with a K-mount, it just fits right inside the ring and the lens screws into it. There's no extra millimeter added to it. That extra little millimeter that was on the cheap mount was all it needed to take it, to take it out of infinity focus. And when you look at, let's say you want to use a different lens on your Nikon, and so there are adapters made that you can do that, I say it's not worth the effort because almost every one of those, um, in almost all instances, they have an extra little piece of glass in there for you to use that lens. And that that little extra piece of glass is going to negate whatever advantages you think you might be getting from using your, let's say, Minolta lenses on a Nikon camera. My mantra has always been, 
Nikon wants F-mount lenses, then get a darn F-mount lens on that thing that was made for it. Because Nikon has a um, their throat diameter and the lens the lens flange to film ratio is different than most other cameras, and it's not going to be optimal if for if you use another manufacturer's lens on the Nikon. And when I say I should say another lens mount on the Nikon. Other cameras like the EOS system have a much larger throat diameter and allows you to use different lenses with those um, with adapters, and you might have more re- better results. I know I've used M42 lenses on an EOS. I've used Nikon lenses on an EOS and had pretty good results. If you're using a K-mount camera, the, really the, o- there's the only um, adapter I've used on those is an M42 mount to to came out because at the time they were at the transition there were lots and lots of m42 mount lenses out there for the spotmatics and users wanted to use them on their pentax km or whatever so these adapters made for that with the pen especially with the, the pentax brand name on them you know they're going to work for screw mount lenses i've used exacta lenses on minolta's i had an, an exacta lenses way back but generally if there's an adapter that requires another optical interface other than air (laughs) between that lens and the film plane you might think you're getting pretty good results but in fact you're you really are negating what you might think is this great glass in this lens and now you've got this cheap piece of glass basically a diopter making it work at infinity focus there's one lens group out there um, tamron adapt dolls which were made to be mounted on just about any 35-millimeter SLR. And you, if you can find uh, adapters that fit your camera and you've got a Tamron Adaptal lens, you can have one lens and six different cameras, camera mounts as long as you've got the adapters for the Adaptal. And if I could just get one for my Leica R4, I'd be happy. But they're really hard to find. Thank you, Mark. If all automatic SLR cameras look the same to you, look again. This is the Minolta XG1. So advanced, a mere touch brings the XG1 to life, showing you the automatic shutter speed setting. So automatic, it won't let you take an overexposed picture. Yet the XG1 is the most economical compact 35mm SLR Minolta makes. If you're as serious about photography as you are economy, this is the one. This is the one. Hey, we're back. This is actually called Stand Developing. Stand and Stand Deliver! The devil's head is stereo and your record collection. The way you look, you'll qualify for next year's old expansion. All this is, is caused by UFOs. This is actually called Stand Developing. FPP listener and workshop attendee Ron Nunley sent us an email asking what we thought of Stand Developing. And... Waste of time. I like this set Can I do your quote back to Ron? Yes. Mike's response. Hi, Ron. I've never used it. I'm a sloppy, fast developer. No patience for it. <laughs> Leslie on copy, in case she wants to add. Oh, I always do that. <laughs> and do you think I'm going to leave you hanging there with that response, Ron? I don't think so. But okay. I, that, that is absolutely true. Like, stand. I'm like, stop. Stop. This is six minutes, 68 degrees. FPP yeah. supermodel bath. Four no, minutes. Done. done. Like, well, stand. Well, stand on your head. Right. What if? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for Leslie. <laughs> Take it away, Leslie. Sorry, Ron. You had to hear that. <laughs> what is stand developer? First off, or stand developing. Current developers, as always, 
mixed them up. You used them stock or you diluted them. You had choices to make. You took their temperature. You need to have them at 68 degrees. You go to the massive development chart and find out how long you have to develop it. And then you agitate it every five seconds of 30 seconds. So top of the clock when that second hand spin around, five agitations. Set it down. Don't go away because in another 25 seconds, you got to agitate again. So the stand process in all of this, the terminology means you're going to develop at the very initial putting the film in. You're going to put that tank on the table and you're going to let it sit there for typically one hour undisturbed. Sure. Why do, why do they bother? Why doesn't everybody use this? Why do they bother? Because well, if, if I did that, I would walk away, and I'd, I swear to God, I'd come back. I'd be four hours, and I'd be like, oh, shit. But you know what? What? You'd probably be okay. Okay. This, this is so forgiving. Mm-hmm. There is very much a perceived sharpness in stand developing. One thing that we're doing with stand developing to extend this time out for an hour is we're highly diluting our developer. Otherwise, we can't just use stock or one-to-one. Everything would be fried. Because it's highly diluted, there's a perceived sharpness and an edge sharpness to this. Let's face it, this sounds rather simple. A little squirted developer, a whole bunch of water, come back in an hour. It is a compensating developer. It was like it. Matt Marash would say, oh, it's a compensating developer. And it, Matt, I really don't know what that means. But and if PP carries some films like this, it's very good for high-contrast films, high-contrast film or high-contrast lighting. The compensating effect in this comes from the developer activates in the areas that are dark. In other words, they have a lot of light. They're going to produce dark on your film, and it exhausts or dies very quickly. But because you agitate, you don't move it away. In the shadow area, it's not using as much activity, and it just keeps working away and working away and bringing those shadows out more. It's already suppressed the highlights so they don't go too far. So it's uh, like self-terminating, mm. which is kind of cool. There is one temperature, and it varies, and one time for everything. Think about this. I gotta roll a Triax to do, <laughs> and I gotta roll an eight, uh, FP4 to do. <laughs> Pork chops and applesauce. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pork chops and applesauce. <laughs> that's swell. And so that means I've got two developing runs because I've got two different times. Notwithstand, you put them in the tank together. It doesn't matter. Pork chops and uh, applesauce. Isn't that swell? You got black and white. You put them in the tank together. You do have. You find an old roll of film. In a camera, you don't know how long it's been in there. Maybe you can't fin- find a time for it. It doesn't matter. Stand development. It's going to give it the best you can out of it. Set your ASA wrong, your office top or two. It doesn't matter. Stand development. It's like easy peasy lemon squeezy. I mean, why oh, I are like we? That. It's just like, it's, it's a Ron Pupil method. <laughs> Set it and forget it. <laughs> if it was perfect, we'd be using this for everything, wouldn't we? There would be no times, no temps, no delusions. We would use it for everything. Some of the things I've already mentioned, obviously if it's good for high contrast films or situations, maybe there are other developers that are better for regular contrast and lower contrast. Possibly. 
But let's talk how about how do we do this? This sounds darn easy. Give me the recipe, girl. Well, we're going to talk about one of two common developers. There's Rodinol and HC110 are probably the two most common developers that you use for stand developing. They are, especially if you're talking Rodinol, they, and I'm surprised you haven't geared in on this, Mike, because mm-hmm. it is by far the slowest, easiest, cheapest, laziest method of <laughs> developing black and white what film. What are you saying, Leslie? <laughs> Hear what you want to hear, big guy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's rumored, and even written, of course, off of, if it's on the net, it's true, but no, that you don't even need to take the temperature. That's, that's not true. It really should come in about 68, but mixing the temperature to get it right, to get it right, is so stinking easy. And I'll throw this out here right now because I'll use it interchangeably. There's not only stand developing, but there's semi-stand developing. One slight difference. I'll tell you how what makes it semi stand in just a second, but you have to have a few things ready before you get before you get started. You got your film, you got it in the tank. Make sure you have something that will measure a very small amount of chemistry accurately. Mhm. Maybe a medicine cup. I I like like scientific syringes because they'll pull a milliliter out of something easy. Whereas if I'm throwing this into my big old Patterson 32 ounce graduate, I'm going to be off. So make sure you have something that measures a small amount of chemistry. And uh, I do always, unless the developer tells me not to, I pre-wet. Pre-wet my film. And that's kind of even important, even with this long, drawn out type of um, processing because this is going to help you avoid something called thermal circulation and thermal circulation boiled down to is cold film cold reel cold tank pouring in proper temperature develop it's going to it's going to change and it can cause streaking Mm. so 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 (laughs) you know pre-wet takes care of that one of the greatest, most classic recipes, mm. because not everybody is the same, is Rodinol. Yes. One to 100. One milliliter of Rodinol, 100 milliliters of water. Wow. Okay, but I need 300 for my tank. Yes. Three milliliters right. of Rodinol, 300 milliliters of water. Wow. It's so simple. And this is all a one-hour stand or semi-stand developing recipe. It's like all ones. One milliliter, 100 milliliters of water, one hour. That's all you have to remember. We don't have a metric system here. You're going to have to... Every little medicine cup and every little syringe does. Mm -hmm. So Because I typically don't use metric either. So while you're film is setting in the pre-wet you can draw off your developer you can get your tap water your distilled water whatever up to 68 degrees mix it all together out goes the pre-wet water in goes the 1 to 100 2 to 200 3 to 300 rod all into your tank wrap it to dislodge the bubbles <laughs> you're going to then agitate your tank. Mm-hmm. Some people say 10 seconds, some say 30. I don't know that it's really a, a big deal. You're going to put it on that tank, and then, then what are you going to do? 
You're going to go to the toy store. Go to lunch. You're going to go order pizza. You right. can make a pizza. Right. You can set a timer for an hour. Oh, Take timer. a nap. Take a nap. You get up an hour and a half later, it's not really going to make Roll a big film. difference. Roll film. Now, do you want really makes this whole thing even easier, no, even what? more beautiful? Mm-mm. Big old bucket. <gasps> a temperature control unit. Yep. Heat helper. A heat helper. A sous vide. Heat up that thing of water. There you've got your pre-wet water. You've got your water to mix your developer. After you've pre-wet, you can throw it back in the tank and use it. And then just put your tank in there for an hour. It's It just can't get any easier. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. So as they say, the temperature is not... It, it is. You should probably try to start off with a temperature that's anywhere from maybe 68 to 70. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one way by adjusting the temperature. If I have it hotter, I really should compensate about 10 or 15 minutes off that hour time. Just think, I don't remember what it is, but I remember I don't want to screw with the recipe because it's 1 to 100 and 1 hour. It's where I need to be. I don't want to compensate. Stay at that classic 68 degrees. If you go for HC 110, mm-hmm. their developer are their dilutions are a little different it may be one to 125 or one to uh 164 which is why i really do like the rod in this case it's a piece of cake to remember this is a one-shot method when you're done with the developer you will not use it for an additional roll you'll mix new but think you're using such a small amount it doesn't really matter it's still a very very economical use of your uh, developer to begin with. If you want to do, this is kind of a Mark Dazel thing. I can see him doing it. Mm-hmm. You could shoot any classic black and white. I'll just say Tri-X. You can shoot 400, a strip of a few frames. Cut it out. Shoot the next strip at 800. Cut it out in the dark. The next strip at 16. And the next strip at 3200. Mm-hmm. Put them all in the tank together. See. Develop them all for the same time. They're, they're, literally, you can even slide all those on the same reel. You'll see a difference in the grain. You'll see a little difference in the exposure. You'll be amazed that every one of those is scannable and printable. Oh. You have got such... Stand developing is so forgiving. Can I get a better result from shooting Tri-X at 3200 by using a developer that I can adjust? Yes. That's why there are different developers and different recipes if it's so perfect though why aren't we just using it yeah 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 gotta be some negatives right you can get slightly less grain depending on your film type with other developers as i mentioned this is great for high contrast if you've got a low contrast film or a low contrast situation especially if you're darkroom printing it's going to take a little bit more maybe to make a pleasing print it's not so much a big deal today in the darkroom with Photoshop or Lightroom. You can bump it us up easily. But traditionally, no. If you had something low contrast, you'd probably use a different developer. But for high contrast films or high contrast light, this is really a nice way to make a, a beautiful negative out of it. Then we've got the infamous, what? I think you can get shots for this, bromide drag. Oh, bromide not drag. Not the bromide drag. That's for indigestion. It is. Drink it. Alka. Seltzer. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. You ate it, Ralph. No. Is there a bromide drag queen? <laughs> I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Take two, Alka Seltzer. Bromide drag actually is. Um, Will that happen in stand developing? Yes, this is the only time it happens. Does it always not, happen? Not necessarily always. Well, how do you Let avoid just, it? 
How do you avoid it? The bromide. Well, oh, actually, I think um, bromide drag, by the way, is like it's, it's a, a smear, right? It's, it's a, like it, well, the bromide ions come out and they travel down to the bottom of the tank. Oh, they're heavier, so they either get hung up in your sprocket holes, yep. and they make streaks down, yep. or you'll see uneven developing at the bottom um, because that's where it's collecting. What to do? Semi stand. You just give it a little shake? At the 30-minute mark or somewhere in between, give it one flip on agitation. Or, or, or one, one swirl. Sw- or one swirl, depending on whether you're a Twizzler or, or a, <laughs> you know, a flipper, whatever. And that will stir the developer up again, redistribute the bromide that's in there, and, and you're good. It's going to give you results for any film that you put in there. Absolutely the best result. Maybe not for that film, but it'll give you some surprising results. I have never... Never really been a fan, mm-hmm. big fan of T-Max 100 and X-Tall. I, I want plus <laughs> X. All I've got is T-Max. And I'm shooting a box Tangor camera, a box camera. So I want something around that 100 speed, and all I've got is T-Max. Mm-hmm. And I processed its stand method in Rodinol. It's beautiful. Mm. It was beautiful. Searchable on my Flickr site if you want to see how they turned out. Gee. So it, it, it's so interesting to do. I think everybody ought to try it yes. because it's, it's kind of like magical. So Ron Nunley, don't listen to Mike. No. Give this little stand developing a try. And see what you think of it. Now, ha- Mark, have you ever done stand? Just once. I won't even ask Mike. No, I've never so. done it. No, no, great. So that's stand developing. Thank wow. you very much, Leslie. You're the quite topic welcome. was long overdue. Stand up and take a bow. I thought you were just. I thought you were just, That topic was long. So if overdue. Do, if you're using um, Kodak five three six three high contrast, Kodak two three six six. Blue sensitive, also high contrast. And you could put them all in the same tank. The yes, Kodak 530, whatever it is. Yeah. It's right behind you on the shelf. You see right there? You're looking at the st- yellow boxes. What's that? 5302. 5302. Yeah. That's another high contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And TechPan also. Oh, TechPan, tech sure. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I will try Stan developing. Mm-hmm. Is it named after? Is it named- who is it named after? Stan developing. Henry Stan. It's because it stands on your oh. counter undisturbed. Oh, it's not S-T-A-N? No, stand up. Oh. Okay. <laughs> stand up and deliver. <laughs> stand and deliver! I want to thank everyone for joining us. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. <laughs> uh, we'll be back very, very soon. We'd love to hear from you. Go out with uh, maybe a ballad song. I don't know. There's so many. They're so good. Darren, we need more songs. Mike, I put the equipment away. It's up in the closet. I've been drawing. He said. I've been eating at five guys. Right. (laughs) Oh, how about this? More food reviews. Fast food reviews. (laughs) Fast food reviews. Mm Mm-hmm. I bet you if I get a little Patreon going for that, that will encourage him. Oh, how about I PayPal him? Some funds, yes. so he can go do some reviews. He'll, that'll pay for do the they food. A, do they have a Long John Silver's in England? You think? I don't know, but I heard they're awful. Well, I'm sure they are. I've never been to one. But, yeah, or at least not in, in any memory I have. I mean, we all have our favorites, like this awful house. <laughs> Long John Silver's oh, bad. Has he ever come over to a Waffle House in the states? I don't think so. Oh, I would be an experience for him. Uh, this is the. Yeah. 
Oh, oh my God. Waldo Peckers. That's what we <laughs> called them in Findlay. Yeah, I don't Waldo Peckers. Is there only one of them? Uh, they, they... Is there one? No, Waldo that, that, was, that was a branch. Oh, okay. a, small, a small branch, but... There's the... Uh, what's that country uh, store with the rocking chairs oh, outside? The, the crack, cracker, cracker Barrel. Otherwise known, otherwise known as the Car Barrel. I don't know. I mean, once I got there, they got the famous... I think about you every day Anywhere